This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. I'm Ann Romer. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and lights camera action. I reached out to my friend, the talented Maggie Casella, last week and asked her to please join me in conversation to chat about what she's been up to during this dreadful pandemic, thinking, you know, she's probably done a few things here and there, and like the rest of us, her life and career have slowed down a bit because of COVID-19. Well, far from it, Maggie Casella, the unsinkable, uninhibited, courageous, outrageous, outspoken, and incredibly funny comedian, actor, writer, producer, has been working non Nonstop this past year in what has arguably become one of the most productive times of her life. Maggie Casella joins us now in conversation. Great to have you with us, friend. Thank you, Ann. What Maggie Casella are you talking about? Is that another Maggie Casella? <laughs> no, this is the that real cool. deal. She is the real deal. It's the one I know and love and have for more than a quarter of a century. So there. Yes, but we're only 30. Absolutely. We looked at each other through the slats in our baby cribs. That's it. (laughs) Congratulations. Four Canadian Screen Award nominations for We're Funny That Way, the Virtual Pride Special. What does that mean to you personally? You know, I mean, honestly, it's a great question. I'm not usually an award-type person, but in this particular case, uh, we got nominated for everything that I actually do. So when people say, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm a performer, I'm a producer, I'm a writer, and I'm a host, right? And it sounds like, oh, my God, she's just saying anything that will stick to the wall. Um, But it is everything that I do. I mean, you know me for a really long time. And so uh, our nominations were for, you know, writing, producing, performance, and host. And so uh, I'm like, oh, they like me, and, and it's true. I am those things. You know, it's almost like sometime in your life, it's nice to get that validation, and that's what it felt like. So here's what I find interesting. You've wrapped up recent acting gigs with Hallmark, which to me is, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to express how, how surprised I am, but I'm also really happy to see that, that there is this pairing between Maggie Casella and Hallmark. Also own productions, Oprah Winfrey productions, own productions. But let's go back to Hallmark. How did that happen? Okay, so these are both Christmas movies, and um, I recently moved out of the city to a, a town about an hour and a half out of the city, which is way closer to Ottawa, so I threw myself in as an Ottawa local worker. And also now, during COVID, we're allowed to self-tape. Um, and believe it or not, me, the live performer, does much better not live auditioning, as a lot of my colleagues do. So we're able to tape these auditions and, you know, show ourselves in a way of like, yes, I can do this part. So. Um, I was, I'm booking more on-air gigs because of that. So that's what happened. Um, uh, Ottawa, uh, the first one, I play the annoying sort of local cop. You know, I have five scenes, which is kind of the most I've ever had in a movie, um, playing uh, for Hallmark, you know, the sort of uh, the, the local small-town cop who, like, every time the two love interests are having fun, I'm there to wag my finger at them. A lot of buzzkills. So, you know, that's me, Officer Becker. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And that's what happened with Hallmark. I mean, you know, I think they're also trying, they are trying, to some extent they heard people saying your movies are not diverse, and I think they are trying to cast more uh, a more diverse cast, uh, and that was evident in the casting. Um, 
you know, it's for the own film. I mean, again, another Christmas movie. And, you know, it, it's interesting with that one. I read for it and my line, you know, the line was like, you know, different lifetime, different husband. And they cast me and then they changed the line to, you know, different wife, which I thought, oh, my gosh, that's kind of amazing. Mm. And they kind of really leaned into that, you know, and that, that, you know, I'm the diner owner and they made the diner, the art directed the sort of menu so that it had a rainbow flag in it. I mean, so I, I do appreciate that, uh, you know, uh, I am getting cast as I am who I am. And that's, and in these kinds of movies, I think that's a big positive step for all, all, all of the uh, people who, you know, in the past have been on the margins in terms of casting. You know, you've been marching for gay rights, for equal rights for decades. So this has to be pretty meaningful for you uh, in terms of how much you've done and how far you've gone. But also the fact that production companies are growing up and and becoming wiser and more inclusive as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not that, you know, look, I, I also think, you know, they are are certainly, you know, I'm not a person of color, but I can see that, you know, there's more diverse casting in terms of uh you know, BIPOC and LGBTQ, and I, I mean, at the end of the day, it, people need to see themselves on screen, you know, otherwise they're just not going to watch. I mean, we're all sick of it pretty much, you know, and, and I think you have to be careful about how you depict people on screen and how you cast, you know. It's good to actually cast, you know, people from the community in which they're in. Obviously, with people of color, you cast people of color, you know, but for queers, Sometimes they don't actually cast gay people to play gay people, so that's also a nice, nice uh, thing that's happening. Maggie, let's do a quick Q and A. Maggie Mysteries, what is that? And congratulations, you were nominated for Best International Short Comedy for that. So, what's Maggie Mysteries? Uh, Maggie Mysteries was uh, I formed a little production company with Katie Ford, who wrote Miss Congeniality, head writer of Family Ties, and home, a esteemed writer. Um, to, to sort of uh, create uh, short-form content for the LGBT community. Uh, Maggie Mysteries was our first short. It's kind of a Murdoch Mysteries parody. We just basically took uh, what would be kind of the uh, gender-fluid or non-binary-ish uh, person, uh, which is me basically in um, those that costume from the turn of the last century trying to be a, a, a detective and running around in those shoes and that kind of stuff and the homophobia she faces uh, with the... We kind of tried to keep the characters the same in that there was that same sort of sergeant who was homophobic and, you know, uh, it, within the series. And they dealt with that. I got to give uh, I got to give the Murdoch Mysteries people credit for um, really leaning in where they could. Um, so that's what it was. And so we were at 13 laurels on it. Um, unfortunately, couldn't go to any of the festivals because of COVID. Um, but that was pretty cool for our first short. So we were pretty pleased with that. So you're still pushing the boundaries, and I'm glad to hear that. How about the CBC series Pretty Hard Cases? Okay, only reason I'm like that, that, that story is so funny because um, I auditioned for a part, didn't get it, and they called my agent back, and they were like, oh, you know, could she come and do this one scene, and it could lead to something else. I love this show, okay? I love it. I love Meredith McNeil. I love Adrian C. Moore. Um, I, I love Sherry White who created it. So uh, I was a fan of another show of hers called Little Dog Show. I was like, well, I'll do it. One scene, who cares? Basically, Anne, I was a prop to hold up two dogs. You know, I had a dog strapped to the front and the back of me. And, um, and I'm like, I want to be part of this family. This is a great show. What a fun time. Just do the one line, get out of there. It was fun. And the publicist writes me, and she's like, oh, could you do me a favor? Your episode is on tonight. Please publicize it on your social. And I'm like, I, okay, all right. Normally, wouldn't do that for one scene in a show, right? But, okay, of course, I want to be part of this family. So I put it on all my feeds. 
and I jokingly say, don't blink or you'll miss me. And I start getting all this feedback on my, uh, a couple of my feeds. It was like, oh, well, I blinked. I must have missed you. I watched it. I got caught. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've been caught out of plenty of things, which is why I wouldn't normally put a one scene, not pivotal to the, the plot kind of thing out there. Oh, my gosh. What's a kryptonite to lesbian? Pity. Oh, my gosh. My feed was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, oh. I was like, no, don't pity me. Anyway. So that was my pretty hard case uh, funny story. And what you also have done is you've taken charge in another way. You just finished your first pilot. No, oh, yeah, a writing pilot. Um, I'm writing four different pilots with three different uh, writing partners and one on my own. And for my birthday, I asked my lovely wife, Jose, could I please have this amazing uh, writing coach in L.A.? And she was like, of course, great. What an easy birthday present. So uh, I signed up with this woman, and she's helped me through this one pilot that um, I'm writing solo, and now I'm on my final first draft. I know that sounds like, what, how many drafts of a first draft can you have? And really, you go through three or four before you take it out and show it to anyone. And that's where I'm just finishing the final first draft of that, which is exciting. And also, a couple of years ago, I shot a talk show pilot. Remember, I used to a talk show. I'm actually very, very, very not, don't usually say I'm good at anything, but... You know, I'm a pretty good host, right? That's the one thing I'm, I'm actually, between being a, have, having been a lawyer and, having, and being a stand-up, I'm good on my feet that way. So, like, hosting and trying to, like, make other people look their best is something I love to do. Um, so I had done some work with CBC uh, at 2019, again, before COVID, uh, in-house sort of hosting and doing the super fan, super fun weekend thing. So I shot a pilot at my festival, the last live festival I did, called Another News. And, you know, it's been sitting there for a couple of years, and the editor's like, why don't you finish this? So I just finished that, and, um, you know, uh, who's going to hire me as a, as a talk show host? Probably no one, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. You'd so, be surprised, um, and you'd be surprised how many people are listening to this very interview. So i got to ask you, Maggie, uh, is it safe to say that your time has come, or your time has come again? You know what, Anne, that's actually not an unfair question. I feel like, and you could maybe tell me this, I feel like, you know, with age and this industry, you sort of get, like, looked away from for a certain amount of time and then revisited. And I, and I feel like, you know, like you with this show, and, you know, we, you, you, we almost get a renaissance period. Um, and I want to fully take advantage of that if that's what this is. It feels like, uh, oh, yeah, her. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Um, and the stuff that I'm, I'm good at, I'm getting to do. So let's, let's go with that. You know, I, I don't think I'm my age anyway. I'm, I always, I'm stuck at 12. You know, I, I'm stuck at 12 in a tomboy. So why not, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're such a sweetheart. So, Maggie, when did you realize you were funny? I, I never thought I was funny. Honestly, uh, I, I, you know, if you ask me who the funny person was in high school, it would be Lou Chimes, you know, <laughs> who's now a lawyer. Um, I never saw myself as a funny person. I, I did always want to act. That was kind of something that was my, again, I didn't want to fail at. So I didn't actually pursue it. I just looked away and went to things I knew I could do and be good at as opposed to the thing I wanted to do and fail at it. Um, I think a lot of people do that. I was a a lawyer and hosting something in Hartford, Connecticut, when one of the performers, Leah Delaria, who was uh, one of the stars of Orange is the New Black, was performing, and she said, hey, you're really funny. You should do stand-up. You're going to be in my show. Mm. Come and do five minutes in my show at this time. And I was like, but I'm not a stand-up. But if you know Leah, you don't really say no to Leah. 
So that's how I got my start in stand-up. I, I, I never really saw myself as funny. And she's like, and you're going to read from the paper and basically do news about uh, – she gave me 30-something years ago, you're going to be a current events comic. And, and, of course, I've switched now since um, that delicious orange pile of poop was president. I found that the audiences were, like, enough already with politics. I need a distraction. So I wrote a show called the Maggie Casella All-American Canadian, How I Came to Embrace Butter Tarts, Bags of Milk, and Palpable Humanity, about um, – I'm going to out myself now uh, about how I moved here from that place, the States. You know, I'm very closeted about that, so it's really hard for me to say that. You know, people from Canada ask me where I'm from. I tell them I'm gay because they don't really care if you're queer. <laughs> but if you tell them from the States, they're like, what's wrong with you people? And explain the Electoral College. So um, uh, I wrote this show just about the difference between the attitudes of Canadians and towards Americans and Americans towards Canadians in the, in the uh, I don't know, uh, close to 30 years I've been here, and also the change that I had to affect in the beginning and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, that's the long answer to that question. But it's a good answer. All right. This I have to ask you, and, and I want to be sensitive about this. We're in the middle of this pandemic that is becoming uglier and bigger and worse than ever. Is it okay to find, to look for and find something to laugh about in a pandemic? I think that, uh, honestly, it's my duty as, look, I'm not going to cure cancer, so what can I do? What's my ripple? What can I do? How can I make people's lives better with the goofy little talent that I have? It's almost incumbent upon me to give people a relief, and I think that's true of anyone in the entertainment business who's writing or creating things where people can, look, it's better to lose yourself in a series than it is to lose yourself in, you know, booze or drugs, right? So... Let's be the sort of relief. Let's be the self-medication that people uh, reach for. Uh, I reach for old sitcoms, right? So why not, why not give people something that makes them forget? I know my worst times uh, just being forced to go on stage and perform, for that hour I forgot. So, yeah, I think it, it, there is, you have to find uh, relief in, in comedy and in, even in drama or anything that takes you away if you can, if you're fortunate enough to have the ability to do that. You know, not everyone is. Maggie Casella, thank you for slowing down long enough to be here in <laughs> conversation. You are a whirlwind. You're a wonder. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. I love you. You know that. Oh, I love you, too. Thank you so much. <laughs> Coming up next, we meet a rising star from the hit Netflix series, Ginny and Georgia. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name? Fame. Well, those are lyrics from the 80s smash hit song about becoming famous. It's also the perfect lead into my guest, Sarah Waysglass. You will remember her name, especially when you catch this rising star of the hugely popular Netflix show, Ginny and Georgia. Sarah Waysglass joins us now in conversation. Thank you for being with us, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be part of this. You are a veteran in the business, but I understand this is your first ever radio interview. So how's it going so far? 
Uh, it's amazing. Everybody's been so nice. I feel very taken care of. I'm just super excited to be talking to you. And I am so excited to be interviewing you. So let's start with Ginny and Georgia. This is one of the most spectacular series. It, you just don't know what's going to happen next. It's a little dark. It's a lot funny. You have a pivotal role in it. How did that all come about? Okay, well, the second I received the script, um, I play Max, and the second I got that character, I, I read it, and I just fell in love with her immediately. And, you know, normally when I go out for auditions, I, I kind of, it takes me a while to get into it, but for Max, I just was immediately obsessed and just knew that I had to be a part of the project, and I just, like, worked really hard. I really, I prayed. I, I just really, really mm. wanted to be part of it. Um, and I think I auditioned seven times. They kept bringing me back, and so that was a good sign. And then um, eventually I got the role in July of 2019. And then we shot from August to December. And it was the most life-changing experience ever. The role of Max, you know, I watch you and I watch you closely. She is energetic. She is complicated. She is lovely and kind and sweet. She also has an edge to her. And she's struggling with something very important to her in her private life. How would you describe Max? I think Max, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. She's she's a ball of energy, and at her root, she just wants to love people and, and be loved, and I think that's something so universal, and, and so that's something I'm really proud of. Um, but she's also just this really hilarious, confident girl, which I think is so nice to see now because... Um, yeah, I just, I think that's so important. <laughs> it also works well with Ginny and the, the actor who plays Ginny. Her character is a little more subdued, a little uh, uh, less effervescent, if you will, maybe with the same courage. So how do the two of you work together? Well, Tony, I mean, everyone calls her Antonia. I call her Tony because I love her. Um, <laughs> she is magnificent. I would say that she's like Ginny in a way, but also not. And I would say I'm like Max in a way, but also not. And I think immediately we just kind of loved each other and, and we had this amazing yin and yang thing going. And so it just made things really easy. Like it just never felt like work with her. We just we got along so well. And because they start as you know strangers and then become friends, we kind of got to do that, too, because Tony lives in Georgia. And so um, when she came to Toronto to shoot, uh, she didn't know anyone. And so I kind of got to, like, learn who she was and, and kind of become her friend, just as uh, Ginny and Max were becoming friends, which was lovely. There are three scenes that really stood out for me. So far, I'm only halfway through the series. I, I feed it to myself once a week because I want to savor it like a fine wine. So the first is <laughs> the crucible in the classroom. Ginny stands her ground with a teacher. And you're, you didn't, don't say really very much, but your expressions and your hand gestures say it all. So what was that scene like and how important was it in establishing her character and yours? I think that scene is really pivotal, and I think it's one of my favorite scenes in the pilot, just because it shows a young woman who's, like, really not taking any crap from anyone, and she's standing up for herself, which is so important. And it's also the beginning of a beautiful, beautiful female friendship, which carries on through the whole series. Um, and so I think both of us knew how important that was. We spent a really long time on it, and I think it worked out really well. 
Next was the sophomore sleepover. So you're in the gym and your whole gang plus uh, begin line dancing, if you if that's the right description. And it reminded me of a scene from 13 Going on 30 with Jennifer Garner. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. Actually, we didn't. So it, the dance is called the Cupid Shuffle. And us Canadians just did not know what that was. So Tony actually had to teach us. <laughs> and so we spent like half an hour where she was teaching us all how to dance. It was hilarious. So the scene that, for me, just cemented how I feel about you as an actor, you kissed a girl and she didn't like it. Yeah, that was sad. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love that scene because, again, it's just, it shows Max at her most vulnerable. I think that in the first couple of episodes, she establishes herself as this always happy, always positive, always rambunctious kind of girl. Um, but that's the first time that we really see her true emotion and really see that she's, you know, she's not indestructible. She's got really human emotions, and I I just love those scenes so much. Is she wrestling with the fact that she's gay? I don't think so. I think she knows exactly who she is. I think she's just dealing with rejection and knowing that someone that she really, really feels for doesn't feel the same, and I think that's something that we all kind of struggle with, so... I just, I love being able to bring that to life. Sarah, is it fair to say that Ginny and Georgia is kind of a series about coming of age? And I mean coming of age for Ginny, but also for her mother, Georgia. Both of them seem to be coming of age. Absolutely. I think that's a that's a theme that carries throughout the whole show. I mean, but I think the writers, their main goal was to make sure everyone knew that we're all struggling with something that isn't always on the surface and everyone kind of wears a mask. Um, And like through, you know, our relationships with people and through our experiences, we learn and we grow. And so I would definitely say it's coming of age for not only Ginny and Georgia, but for every other character. For those who don't know, uh, Georgia, the mother, is what, in her early 30s? She had Ginny at a very, very young age. And so each each character, even uh, Ginny's brother, Everybody's teaching each other something. Is that safe to say? Yeah, totally. I think that, I mean, just even apart from the show, I feel like we learn so much from each other on a day-to-day basis. And I think that the show does a really good job of capturing that. And so I would say, yeah, absolutely, everybody's coming of age. How cool was it to shoot all around southern Ontario? I guess it was to make it look like a New England town, and it was done very well. But that must have been great for you as a Torontonian. It was so fun. Honestly, most of the, you know, the sets that we used for every episode were in a studio in Toronto, but all the outdoor stuff was in Coburg. And so we got to take a trip and we got to drive down there together. And um, they actually put us up in a hotel once and the hotel was haunted. (laughs) (laughs) So that was very interesting. And we all kind of laughed about it. We got no sleep because we kept hearing noises. Um, but it was very fun and just like, we just had, every time you're on location, it just feels so different and there's just a different energy. And so I think we all kind of connected to that and it made the show a lot better. (laughs) And this was shot before the pandemic hit. So wonderful to think that Southern Ontario is highlighted, but also there was great employment at every level, at every turn when it came to this series. Totally. And we were really, really lucky to get it all done before the pandemic. And I'm just, I feel so grateful every day. You started in this business, your very first commercial. How old were you and what was the commercial for? 
Ooh, I think I was six. Oh. I was I was very very young, um, and my first commercial was for KFC, and I just had to run in and eat Kentucky Fried Chicken, <laughs> and it was a very very nice day for me. <laughs> Next, you landed a role in a show called Overruled, created by Shaftesbury, at the age of seven. So, wow, you were all grown up at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Overruled was like the first real job that I booked, and it was the first real introduction I had to, you know, acting and, and film. And, and it was amazing because I was, I was so young, and everyone was so protective of me and always wanted me to have a good experience. And so I think that I'm very lucky in that regard. Um, but yeah, it, I, some of my favorite memories are from that show, and I'm still really, really close with the guy who plays my older brother. <laughs> and the Degrassi days, that's where a lot of people watching Ginny and Georgia would remember you from. That must have been quite a turning point for you and probably really fun. Hard work, but fun. Definitely. I would say Degrassi kind of cemented the fact that I wanted to be an actress because I did take a break for a while from acting. When I went back to it, it was my decision, and I remember I booked Degrassi, and it was the first time I really felt like a true actor, because we were telling these super important stories, and I wasn't, you know, the little sister or the the daughter. I was just, I was playing a role that so many people could relate to, and so that felt really important and wonderful to me, and I just felt so purposeful, and also getting to work with people your own age for the first time is like a magnificent experience, so I really loved Degrassi. And you're doing it again with Ginny and Georgia. So speaking of working with people your own age, and then people who are older than you, like John Malkovich and Robert Pattinson, what was that experience <laughs> like for you working with the, those slightly older actors? I was very young when I worked with John Malkovich, but he was the kindest man I've ever known. He, We were shooting in New Mexico. It was boiling hot, and we had to do a scene where we were driving in a convertible down a highway, and it was like sweltering. And he had a bucket of ice brought to the car, and he was dipping my feet in this bucket of ice. He was, like, the most kind man ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I worked with Robert Pattinson, it was 2015, and I obviously was a big fan of the Twilight franchise, and so I was super excited to meet him. He's super professional, a lovely and very intelligent actor. I, I'm just in awe of everyone I get to work with. I learned so much from everyone. What do you think is going to happen as a result of Ginny and Georgia for you and for your career? Oh, that's an excellent question. Honestly, I just feel really, really grateful that I've even been able to like get this role. And, and it's, it's brought me so much already. I've been able to speak to all these new people and, and really kind of talk about the things that I love about this industry and about these stories and at the end of the day, the thing that I hope the most is that I get to continue playing characters that resonate with people and that I get to keep having these experiences where I get to connect with so many people. It's like really what I, why I do what I do. I just, I love being able to affect people in the ways that people have affect, affected me. So I would say that. <laughs> you're an actor. You're a great actor, in my opinion, and the opinion of many in Canada and in the U.S. and around the world. I also noticed in your bio that you're developing screenwriter and you study story structure. What 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 part of your experience moving forward is helpful by being a screenwriter, developing screenwriter, and also studying story structure? Yeah, I would say that my, you know, in university, studying screenwriting was probably a huge leg up in my career just because I think as actors, we're all pawns in a story and we all play a certain part that gets the story across. But when you understand 
the character's role in the story, it lets you tell the story better. Um, and so I think that by studying story structure and studying screenwriting, I was able to bring that to the table um, and kind of focus less on the character itself, but the story as a whole. Um, so I think that insight helps me a lot, which I'm very, very grateful for. Sarah Wasteglass, are you ready for superstardom? <laughs> I don't know about superstardom. <laughs> I just hope I can continue playing these amazing roles. That's literally all I want. <laughs> <laughs> You're so down to earth. What keeps you grounded? Ooh, probably my family. They're like the first to be like, it's not that big a deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're very funny. They very much keep me humble. Um, but also, I really love doing that myself. You know, like I, I would never want to be, you know, like full of myself or cocky. That's like not something that I ever want to do. Um, so I just treat every day the same and take it day by day. And I'm just hoping that I can keep my head on my shoulders and <laughs> do a good job. <laughs> and I want to keep watching you. You are absolutely lovely. I just want to thank you for joining us in conversation. Sarah Wayesglass, one of the stars of the smash hit Netflix series, Ginny and Georgia. I encourage everyone to tune in. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much, Anna. Have a good one. And you as well. Sarah Waysglass and Maggie Casella, leading ladies. This song's for you. Bye for now. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.